Well, thank you, everybody. That was a lovely welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, so I haven't preached in a very, very long time. I think the last time I preached was when I just came back from South Africa, so that was 2021. Um, so if I'm a little bit rusty, please bear with me, but I'm sure God has got something amazing to share with all of us today. Um, what we're doing at the moment is we're going through Romans. So Nick did a two-parter, um, which you can catch up on if you haven't heard the two-parter. Um, we do live stream the service and record it, so you can go back and listen. Um, and then I'm carrying on today, and we're going to focus on Romans 12, 3 to 8. So we're going to have an overall look, and then we're going to delve in a little bit deeper. So to begin with, I wanted to speak about change. Um, and I love where this preaching series is going because what we're actually reading and exploring in Romans is very practical and it's something that we can implement in our lives if we choose to. Um, so with that, change is something that we should discuss. J.C. Maxwell once said, I've got a lovely quote slide, I think. I do. Um, change is inevitable. Growth is optional. So... When we're talking about change or when we're looking at change, we can look around us and it is everywhere. Um, you can even look now, we've had lovely change in carpets. <laughs> That's a great example for what we're speaking about today. Um, what I wanted to say first was I wanted to talk about my plants at home. I am one of these people that I want to be a gardener. I want to be a plant person so badly. I think they're beautiful. Um, and in my bedroom, I've got a window ledge and I've got all my plants there. And um, I was looking at them and they were growing and they were thriving and it was going really well. But then I noticed, oh no, some of them need repotting. Um, now, Repotting can go one of two ways. It can either go really successfully and you still have your plant and it's amazing and it's growing, or it doesn't go as well as you plan. Um, so what I wanted to speak about is when I went to the garden centre and I picked up new, new pots for my plants, I did know that you're not supposed to go too big for the pot size when you're changing. You're only supposed to go in little increments. So I picked up the pots, um, I went back home, and then I started repotting them one by one. Now, I'm not a gardener, as you can probably tell, um, so I didn't have a lot of hope or knowledge that I was actually repotting them successfully, um, and that they would continue to thrive. I was quite happy with how they looked at the moment, but I knew that the repotting needed to happen. So if you look at these plants as an example of change, the changing of the pots, the new placement, and the soil were all inevitable because I took a physical action that needed to be done. But repotting them isn't where the work stops. The change has happened, but the growth isn't, isn't inevitable. The growth um, is optional. It all depends on if I continue watering them, if I put the work in, if I make sure they're in the right environment. So as much as the physical change was inevitable, the growth is optional based on the amount of effort we put in. The definition of change, because I love a definition, um, as a noun, is an act or process through which something becomes different. So even here, we can see that for something to be different, there needs to be an action or a process. And then also you can look at change, if you're looking at definitions, it's not just a noun, it's also a verb, which is a doing word, it's a physical action. So a question I have for you guys today is are we actively 
seeking change or are we content with the constant? My plants were thriving and looked beautiful, but I knew that without the change of repotting them, their potential would have been stunted. It would have stopped at that point and they wouldn't have been able to grow. Change is something that is always around us. It's constantly spoken about. And we live in an active, moving society. And unfortunately, or fortunately, change is happening at, happening at a very rapid rate that we can't necessarily keep up with. Um, change is also at the forefront of Christianity. Ultimately, ultimately, all of us here dream of change. That's why we became Christians. We wanted the old to be gone and the new to come. We wanted that change. So we also look at things like peace, discipline, strength, joy, life even. And we all want to know them personally. We want those changes to happen in our life and know them personally. We want to be transformed by these things as well as the other people around us. We want to see other people change and other people be transformed. That's why we're a church family. And we want to experience, not just hear. We often get stuck in these mindsets of, oh, it's just another Sunday, it's fine, I'll show up on time, I'll get there, but I've got my roast dinner cooking, so I need to be home at this time, and all stuff like that. But when we're stuck in these mundane mindsets and we just plod through life, change isn't easy. Because what we're doing is we're standing in the same space, stepping through, doing our actions without any progression, we're sort of walking sideways. So when we're looking at change and how change isn't easy, I, I'm not going to go into the whole reason why change isn't easy because every single one of you here will have a testimony of how something in your life changed and through that there was pain, suffering, trials, tribulations, but then out of it, it was, there was growth. That's why it's a testimony, not just a story. So I want to ask today, and the title of what I'm talking about today is who am I or who are you? There are a couple of other questions. How does change happen? What does it take to be transformed? How can this happen? And how can this change in our lives be authentic and lasting, not just superficial? So I'm gonna take a look into Romans 12 um, and Nick shared last week with Romans 12, one to two. So I want to just start there and then we'll go on going to slightly touch on so how Paul begins he talks about mercy talks about the mercy of God about the sacrifices in our ways of living and how we shouldn't conform to the ways of the world so that we can be led to transformation but Paul then moves our thinking and it's almost two sides of the same coin he starts with mercy then he moves to grace so initially Paul is talking about how God doesn't give us the things that we deserve, like condemnation and suffering. But then he pivots our thinking to grace, which is where God is giving us the things that we do not deserve, salvation, acceptance, love. It's important that we understand this term of grace because it's actually the springboard of the scripture we're gonna look at today. So with all of this, if you want to be transformed, and if you want to have Christ-like changes in your life, we're going to look at three ways in which this God-given grace can change us. Or in a practical sense, it's three things that are vital for change. So we're going to read through Romans 12, 3 to 8, and then we'll go from there. 
Is that okay? So I'm going to turn around because I can't see. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that when we're diving into your word, that you can just reveal what you would like us to know today. Lord God, show us these new things in your name, we pray. Amen. So within this passage, there are three main topics that I've picked out that we need for change. And truthfully, if there is anyone here today who feels like that they're stuck in a rut or they're not going forwards or they're treading water or change isn't happening as quickly as you want it to, I actually see these three things that Paul is talking about, a bit like the fire triangle. So you know where you've got, is it oxygen, fuel, that's, yes, you know the one. <laughs> I'm not a gardener, I'm not a scientist either, so <laughs> we're going well. So with that fire triangle, obviously if one of those elements is taken out, you won't have fire. I think what we're going to look at today, these three points, if one of them is taken out, you won't necessarily get the change you want to see in your life. So think of it. Oh, no, just read that bit. So the first thing we have to look at is our opinions of ourselves. For something to change in our lives, we need to have an accurate understanding and perspective of ourselves. Paul writes in verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So my first point is humility. Humility is an element of change. Now recognize that Paul, right at the beginning, is even speaking of his own self-reflection. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, He's starting from a place of humility even before he goes. Remember that grace is something given that we don't deserve. And Paul is sharing this as a warning for humility from a place of self-acknowledgement and through the gift of grace. Now, when we read this passage, it can be quite difficult because I think there are two responses. And these two responses might be in the room today. There are one group on this side who read it and say, well, actually... I've worked really hard to have a good opinion of myself. I've come from a really difficult time where I had no self-worth and I've worked hard and now I'm self-approving and I'm in a good place. I actually, actually quite like myself and I think of myself quite highly. But the thing is, that's not necessarily in a super prideful way. So we often slip past and think it's okay. However, at the end of that scale, the sober judgment that Paul is talking about means that we need to ensure we recognize the reason for this good self-esteem. It's not come from a place of us. 
James 1, 7, um, 17, sorry, starts by saying, every good and perfect gift is from above. So when we look in the mirror and we think, oh yeah, no, I'm feeling myself today. Today's a really good day. That isn't thinking highly of ourselves because our heart posture needs to show this good and perfect gift that I'm watching, that I'm looking in the mirror, is from God. Psalm 139, 13 to 14 is another great example. For you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. Notice at the end it says, I know that full well. That's confidence right there. That's knowing that through God, the reason is I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by God. That's that confidence we want. So our worth is in the Lord. So Paul is warning this side to remain humble and with sober judgment of themselves because without the correct view or without Jesus in this opinion, we fall into a prideful, self-centered, consuming version of ourselves. And it can cause us to trip up and stumble. If we're having a really good day and then the next day is not so good, where's the change happening? We're actually stepping backwards. But then when pride fills our hearts, it's very hard for change to happen. Prideful people don't want change. A prideful person doesn't want change because they are already happy or content with their position. You have people that say, well, I've worked really hard to be here. I've worked really hard to be here. Notice the I in that sentence. There is no God in that. So for example, an athlete, I was thinking about it, if someone's training to be in a race, they start at like the lower levels and then they work up to the, to the higher ranks. This person trains and trains and trains and then they win the race of the, of the intermediate beginner's level. Well, that's brilliant. They've worked hard, they've won the race, but they got the taste of victory and that's actually the thing they're wanting. So instead of then training and going up and changing and growing, they stay in that level because they know that the win is inevitable. But that's the thing. We don't want an inevitable win. We want to continue to grow. We want to continue to change for our ultimate goal. I heard a quote the other day which reads, and this one, it like, it's one of those quotes that it just hit me. I was like, oh, that's quite a, quite a tempting one. But maybe you're not hungry for the Lord because you are too full of yourself. Maybe you're not hungry for the Lord because you're too full of yourself. Paul warns and instructs us to not think highly of ourselves so that we can be ready and of sober mind for change to come. For if we don't look at where we are or who we are, then how can we even recognize that change is happening? If we don't take a rain check of what we are right now, in two weeks' time, you'll have no clue how much you've changed. So there's that one side, but then there's also this side, which is the side that is actually really difficult to deal with because Paul is saying, don't think highly of yourself, come on. But actually, there's a lot of people that will stand there and say, well, actually, I've never thought highly of myself. I've always had self-esteem issues. I've always worried about my appearance. I've always not felt worthy, not felt good enough. If anything, Paul, I need a pep talk not to be told to think of myself less. But actually... If we take a holistic view of what Paul is saying here, the root of this warning is humility. Maybe we need to actually look at what humility can be. C.S. Lewis, and it's a very famous quote, said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. 
Paul is reminding us to come with a sober judgment of ourselves, meaning you need to strip back all of the negative words that have ever been spoken over you. You need to take away your own self-hatred and your hatred of your reflection and remember that with grace, something we'll never be worthy of. God still gives and uses if we are ready to see ourselves through the eyes of Psalm 113, 139. Sorry. So whether you come with a really positive look on yourself and you need to maybe humble yourself lower, or you come with that really low self-esteem and think, well, actually, what is Paul saying here? Truthfully, both extremes, and it's a harsh way of thinking, are somewhat selfish or prideful because the focus is on you. It's you only thinking about you. Paul is saying to everyone here that we need to be humble. And if you have experienced grace, then it should have humbled you. The biggest tell of humility through grace is actually our salvation. The last section of verse three, if we can get that up, please. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. This shows that in our salvation, we contribute nothing. We sometimes get consumed thinking, well, actually, on January the 11th in 2007, I made a decision to follow God. Well, actually, every single Sunday, I make a decision to pray. I make a decision to worship. But from what this says, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, We sometimes get consumed by this thinking, but Paul reminds us here that this measure of faith God has distributed to you, and some versions say assigned, is also the gift of grace. We cannot produce the faith to believe ourselves, even that is from God. Never take it as though I've made the decision. God gave us that faith to decide. So humility that comes from grace humbles everyone. And in order for change to happen in our lives, we need to be humble, simply. So according to the measure of faith that God assigned, this is also a hint as to what's coming. We all have a part to play in the body of Christ with gifts for the larger collection of believers. We've been assigned, it's been distributed. The gospel isn't just about receiving or delving in personally. This humility that is grace-given isn't just for one. The gospel creates a community marked by humble hearts and active service of people who have experienced the grace of God. I often think that this coming together of a collective community is almost a spark or a catalyst of change. But also importantly, being plugged into the community is where change can not only start, but be sustained. So we're going to read four to five now. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. When looking at this metaphor that Paul uses to describe community, um, he uses a body. Now, not only does the body show great diversity, but also a sense of harmony or unity, which ultimately leads to life. Diversity comes from all our differences. Each and every one of you were created differently for a reason. Imagine if we were sat here and every single person 
was Nick. Every single person was Sandra. It would, it would be crazy. I don't know if I'd cope. <laughs> but actually, if you take a look at your body, if you take a look at your hand, not only is a finger different to the hand, but every single finger is different. So as much as there are similarities, even within similarities, there are differences. And each difference has a different purpose. So church, I want to call out to you, and if I think this is a message for someone today, never feel like you are a spare part, whether that's in church, whether that's in your family, in your community. You're not a spare part. Because without diversity, there would be no unity or completion of the body of Christ. Now, the unity I'm speaking about here does not just involve us coming together on a Sunday to work as one and make sure the service goes okay, but it's to acknowledge and remember that one of our unifying centers or the only unifying center we have is Christ. That's why we are unified. And being a smaller local church, unity and remembering our unifying center is so important for growth field change to occur. We can't look at things like age, income, background, or any other physical appearance to fuel our identity or our unity. Our diversity created through God is leading us to only be able to unify with him. There is no other factor here that we could look around and say, well, actually, no, we all have ginger hair because we don't. We can't walk around and say we all have hair because we don't. There is no physical thing here that we could actually tie between each other. Yes, we all have fingers, but every single one of those fingers has a different fingerprint. So the only thing that can unify us together is Christ. And notice that Paul in the Bible loves a good metaphor. He just, he loves it, doesn't he? However, if you actually look at when he's talking about this spiritual community, he doesn't use a business or an organization structure, or he doesn't talk about a sports team coming together. He uses a metaphor which has a diversity in parts, but a unity in goal with an additional layer of intimacy. When describing spiritual community, Paul uses metaphors like a body, a family, and a marriage. This is what the church ought to look like. With all of these things, there is a deep sense of belonging and worth, but more importantly, there is commitment. Anyone can leave a sports team. Anyone can leave a business. It won't crumble. But as a family, as a marriage, as a body, we all need to be committed. It's not just a place, and when I'm saying it, I'm meaning church, community, this family. It's not just a place we can dip in and out of. It should be a place of deep relationships and friendships. Unfortunately, too many people end up moving around frequently or possibly leaving a church because their own sense of intimacy or friendship and commitment has started to deteriorate. All too soon, church is becoming a secondary thought that just holds preaching, music, and prayer. That if I attend this, my Sunday sorted, I can tick it off. I've, I've, done, I've done the Christian thing and gone to church. Or maybe some people have the mindset of, well, if I just have Christian friends, if I make sure I only listen to Christian music and I only have a Christian circle, then I'm fine. Because I don't need to commit myself to a local church. There are plenty of online services. That's a lot 
we're hearing that a lot after COVID. But actually, committing yourself to a local church and getting deeply rooted in this body is the harder option. Talking about online services, for example, if you start to get bored during an online preach, and I know we've all been there, we've put one on thinking it's going to be amazing, and then we're half an hour in and it's still got 40 minutes to go. With that, we can also get distracted. I know that I've put stuff on and gone, oh, I really need to fold my laundry. I've got it on in the background. It's fine. When we're at home, we can fast forward. We can pause. We can fast forward and get to the prayer at the end. But you can't pause me. You can't fast forward to the end. So realistically, you being here is committing yourself just to see the unifying work of God. When you're at home, it's so easy to get distracted. I mean, by all means, you could walk out right now. But realistically, you cannot pause or fast forward this moment. This moment is for God and God alone. But see how committing yourself to a community also is humility. Because you are coming here going, not by me, by you. When we're at home and fast forwarding, well, I'm busy. I've got something else to do. I don't have the time. When you're here, you're saying, God, this is your time. So actually, being here does mean you need to deal with other people. You need to deal with their issues, their odd sense of humour that you might not agree with. And that's why being committed can be difficult. But with this, when you are deeply connected in the body, change comes. And of course, God can bring change in personal times through comfort, And we do always need those moments. There are seasons where we need that personal comfort. But I truly believe that change can come thick and fast when you commit yourself to being stretched in uncomfortable situations. And sometimes there is nothing more uncomfortable than being in your local church. Commitment in this community comes differently to all of us. Linking this to diversity again, For some, it would be prioritising Sunday mornings and attending the events the church puts on. For others, it's not running or backing down in the event of something uncomfortable, but working through to reach forgiveness and reconciliation. And for some, it's accepting and submitting to leadership, not through guilt, but through faithfulness to God. Community is needed for change and growth. Sometimes community is actually the healing factor in someone's circumstance. There's many times and many examples I can think, I have no clue how I'm going to get through this situation. But then someone comes up to you and goes, I really like your dress today. How are you doing? Can I give you a hug? Just that community, that sense of unity and belonging can be a healing factor. And God uses that as well. He uses those moments. Paul wants us to see that as recipients of different measures of faith, We are put in a unique position. We all bring something different to the table, but none of us have it all. There is not a place for perfect people in this community. It's a place of diversity, unity in Christ, and growth in painful times. By God's grace, we are all here right now. His timing is perfect, and you are a vital part of his body. So we need to be humble, And we need community. But finally, Paul, in this passage, is prompting us to serve. So I'm going to read six to eight now. Are you still with me? So we've got humility, community, now we're going to serve. 
So this reads, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So there is one body, many parts, with all different purposes and gifts. Paul is giving us examples here of the ways we should serve or use our gifting. But note, I did a bit of digging around in this passage. The root of the word gift in here is actually grace. So all of these gifts that he mentions are grace-given gifts. They may not all be the same, but they are the same in the way we should be doing them diligently. We should be using them. So there's prophesy, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, acts of mercy. Now, if any of these are new to anyone here or you haven't necessarily heard them yet, after we've done today, we are going to pray for God to reveal some of these gifts and we're going to ask God to show us how we should be using them. But note that this list here is not exhaustive. This isn't just where it ends. There's no full stop. So try not to place yourself in one of these boxes. And oftentimes, these giftings, and if we put ourselves in that box, can lead to excuses. A lot of people, and I've heard it a few times, people will say, well, actually, that's not my gift set, so I'm not quite right for looking after the kids in Sunday school, or that's not quite my gift set, so I don't think I'll serve at that event. But actually, God is calling us to do diligently. Yes, we should do our own gifting diligently, but serving in general, serving this community, serving this body, being plugged in and being a part of it requires us to do things that make us uncomfortable. The focus here is that Paul is trying to direct us to is when we are wired into a body, community or church, we are acting with humility, service is a non-negotiable. So let me ask you, are you serving this community diligently and with humility? Be active in this community. Be truly plugged in. Don't think that because something is not your gift set that you shouldn't walk in obedience in God's direction. Serving is not just an open action that everyone can see. It's actually the work done for God with the correct heart posture behind closed doors. You see, volunteering is asking how can I help you out? Serving is asking, how can we help you in? As a church, as a body, we need to serve. Serve one another, serve our local and wider community, but most importantly, serve God. Serving is a gift to us. We have already received, so now we have to faithfully go out and use what has been gracefully given to us, humbly, for our community. So Paul has given us three ways in which change can happen. Humility, community, and service. Do you now get my fire triangle explanation? Because realistically, if you want change to happen in your life and for that change to produce growth, if you're not doing one of those things, maybe that's why it's not happening. Because you can't be part of the body and you can't, and you can't be part of the body and serve, but not be humble. Because if you're doing everything pridefully, 
that's not what we should be doing. You can't be humble and serve without being part of the community because we, all, we are all part of this body. If you're serving, what's your purpose for serving if you're not part of the body? And then you can't serve. You can't be... What's the other one? What's the other? That's it. You can't be humble in the body without serving because if not, you'll just be a stagnant finger, just not moving around, when actually we need every single part to be functioning and working for change to happen, for growth to happen. So church, to link into what Nick spoke about last week, to be a living sacrifice, we must think accurately about ourselves, know how the body of Christ works, and use our giftings. Make sense? Brilliant. So we're now going to take some time to pray. Now, there are many different things to pray about here, but the big one that I feel like we should pray about is our giftings, because it's important to sit and meditate and ask God, A, what is my gifting? I'm not quite sure where I fit in, but also, how am I to use my gifting? Yes, I know that my gifting might be teaching, but does that mean teaching here? Does that mean teaching kids? Does that mean teaching each other? So let's take some time to speak to God and see what he says about our gifting. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these gracefully given gifts. Lord God, we thank you that we are one body, united with you as our centre. Lord God, we thank you that we can come together, not just on a Sunday, but be a body that's functioning and moving and creating change. Because Lord God, we know you are the God of change. You don't want us to stay stagnant. Our job on this world our time here is to grow your kingdom and for growth to happen there needs to be change so heavenly father i just pray that you can give us fresh revelation on our giftings that you have given whether that's revelation in what the gifting is or whether that's revelation in how we should be using our giftings how we should be serving but lord god i also just want to pray if anyone here is still feeling like they are a spare part that they know that they're part of this family, they know they're part of this community, but they're not quite sure if they still fit in. Lord God, I just pray that they know your peace and love. Lord God, you know that they know you have a purpose for them. Heavenly Father, I thank you that each and every one of us is different. And Lord God, I thank you that we can celebrate those differences with you. In your name, we thank you for everything that you've revealed to us today. Lord God, we pray that we can act in humility, that we can take a self-reflection with you so that we aren't just idolizing ourselves or thinking about ourselves. Lord God, let us think of ourselves through you, through what you call us to be. In your name, we give this all to you today. We love you. Amen.